2020, and, and that's the highest uh, growth pace in over 10 years. So plenty of, uh, I guess, when you look around the, 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 the economy, there, there's plenty of strengths there to, to, uh, to really focus on and latch on, and let's hope one of those is this travel bubble. Um, and at the same time, I think a little bit of element of optimism going into the fourth quarter. I know it's very early, but in the first two weeks, we did see um, some rotation, if you will, um, into those big... Straits Times Index heavyweights, three banks, DBS, OCBC, and UOB, I think they're a recipient to over $200 million of net institutional inflow over those two weeks with the trio of uh, banks averaging around, I think it was around 5% gains for those two weeks. But, Jeff, you know, oh. obviously... Yep. Okay, we'll sorry, to, inter- time, yeah. sorry you, to interrupt you. We're running out of time, yeah, indeed. But thank you very much. That's Jeff Howie, market strategist at the Singapore Exchange. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning. In Australia, the ASX 200 is off about a third of a percent. Uh, no movement now in Japan. The Nikkei 225 is flat. In South Korea, similar story. The Cosby also flat as well. It looks like the Hang Seng is going to open flat as well in an hour's time. Not much movement anywhere this morning across Asia. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is falling a little bit. It's down to $48.48 uh, 48 a barrel. And gold is also off a couple of dollars in Asian trading now at $1,903 an ounce. Thank you very much uh, for, for listening this morning. Um, Hugh Chiverton and Andrew Work will be on back chat in just one moment. The weather forecast dry during the day. Maximum temperature will be about 29 degrees. Mainly fine and dry in the next couple of days. Temperature difference between day and night can be relatively large over the inland areas. Slightly cooler in the morning and at night. Cloudier and windier towards the weekend. And the temperature right now 23 degrees, 73% relative humidity. 8.32, Samantha Butler has the half hour news. Germany is reported to have granted refugee status to a young protester facing a rioting charge here in connection with last year's anti-government unrest. The university student is believed to be the third Hong Kong activist to be offered protection by Berlin after Ray Wong and Alan Lee were given political asylum in Germany in 2018. Todd Harding reports. Reuters says the 22-year-old woman, who does not want to be identified, showed its reporters a letter from the German Federal Office for Migration and Refugees dated October the 14th that confirmed she had been granted refugee status. The news agency quotes her as saying she chose to flee Hong Kong because she knew she wouldn't be given a fair trial. She also said she was grateful to the German government. The activist said she was arrested at a protest last November. She said she fled to Germany via Taiwan several days later without telling her family. She told the news agency she was very upset to leave Hong Kong like that as she knew she might never return. The U.S. Justice Department has indicted six Russian military intelligence officers, accusing them of carrying out devastating cyber attacks around the world. Among the indictments, the unit is accused of switching off the Ukrainian power system and disrupting the opening ceremony of the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. Scott Brady, a U.S. Attorney General in Pennsylvania, said the attacks badly affected Ukrainian citizens. While the alleged perpetrators of these crimes were Russian government officials, The victims who suffered real harm as a result of these crimes were often ordinary citizens and businesses around the world. These are citizens and businesses that rely on such things as electricity for warmth during a cold Ukrainian winter, a reliable banking system as a foundation for a stable economy, untainted elections free from interference by foreign adversaries. 
President Trump says he's ready to remove Sudan from a U.S. list of state sponsors of terrorism after the new government agreed to pay compensation to American victims of terrorist attacks. Here's the BBC's Anne Soy. Dropping Sudan from the state sponsor of terrorism list will be very welcome news in the country. Food, fuel and medicine are getting more expensive. Sudanese are growing increasingly impatient with the new reformist government. But now things could change. It means international lenders and investors will be able to operate in the country. But before that can happen, the already broke government must first pay $335 million in compensation to 700 American victims of Al-Qaeda attacks in East Africa. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about mental health and well-being under COVID-19 and also catching up on events in Thailand. Hong Kong's mental health slumped to a record low in 2020, according to a local annual survey. Fear, uncertainty, social distancing, the economic downturn and the bleak outlook are cited uh, in the survey. Do you agree? What sort of treatment is available here in Hong Kong? Can IT help or hinder? Does uh, working from home reduce stress or does it make it worse as work spreads, uh, worry, as work worries spread into family time and are certain ages particularly vulnerable? Want to hear your thoughts, your experiences? Give us a call on 233-88266 or email backchat at rthk.hk or you can comment, of course, on our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio and after 9.15, talking about those ongoing demonstrations in Bangkok with striking similarity to last year's events in Hong Kong also. Joining us for our first topic now, we have with us uh, Dr Doris Chan, a psychiatrist. Dr Dawn Su is a regional medical officer at uh, Cigna and uh, we're going to be talking to a psychologist and executive director of uh, Samaritans. I'm oh, sorry, yeah, we do have the, uh, uh, yes, Dr Eslin Terigena is with us now, uh, a chartered uh, psychologist from Mind and Life and the director of Samaritans will be joining us later in the programme. Uh, once again, our email address this is backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, Dr. Chan, Doris Chan, good morning to you. Yeah? Good morning, Do- Doris. Yeah. You're on, you're on radio, yeah, don't wait. Yeah. Let's Let's your mic on, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> can you hear okay. me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. Okay, um, so um, there have been a number of kind of surveys and kind of general overviews of uh, uh, trying, trying to get to grips with what's uh, the, the mood, I guess, and the, 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 the mental health state of, of Hong Kong. What are your thoughts? What are your impressions from talking to your psychiatrists, from talking to your friends and, and, and patients and, and so on? How do you think we're doing in Hong Kong? Oh, m- uh, many of us um, suff- is subjecting is to a lot of stress recently, and because, um, and because uh, I can't, because <laughs> you can take your mask off if it's uh, difficult with the earphones. <laughs> and it is quite a. Uh, it is quite stressful. Uh, it is quite stressful recently, and m- uh, many of uh, my friends or my relatives and they are um, um, a-, a bit upset uh, with the present economical stress and all the isolation in so- uh, with the with their, with their friends and relatives. Hmm. Yeah. What? What? So it's it's the money. It's the isolation. Anything else? Or? Um, and and all of us has, has been trapped in in, in our home. 
and it's very difficult to to live without any friends and any any gathering social gathering and from my clinic and i i see a lot more anxiety patients and also depressed patients mm. uh dr uh, eslin terragena good morning to you how are you? Thanks for joining us. Is that do you, do you agree with that? Is that the sort of experience that you've had from talking to colleagues and friends and patients and so on? Uh, yes, absolutely. So we do, um, as Dr. Chan said, we do see a lot more anxiety and depression. Um, you know, just because the, the stresses are adding up and and it's cumulative. So the more stresses we have, the um, harder it will be to met, met, match all these stresses with um, our resilience strategies and our usual coping strategies are quite often taken away from us at the moment. So things like going to the gym, going out for drinks with friends, socialising, all these things, um, you know, sometimes we're restricted from doing those so we can't fall back on our usual coping strategies which makes it somewhat worse because there's more stresses and fewer ways of coping. So absolutely, yeah, we've seen an increase in anxiety, depression, um, and also it triggers a lot of things for people that are sort of underlying just under the surface. So um, things that people were sort of managing or avoiding now are somehow, um, you know, augmented in this, in this situation, having to be at home, um, having to be isolated and, and the stress and uncertainty of the economy and also our health in the future. Yeah. Are, are some people more susceptible to this than others? Could you say like, oh, well, we're locked up at home, can't go out, can't see friends? People are going out to restaurants every day. Like, okay, we were down to tables of two and tables of four. And, you know, people were out on walks in the countryside. But, you know, I've got another friend of mine. Uh, her her father just died and her mother is elderly and doesn't really have a lot of friends and, and is probably deathly afraid of getting COVID. She probably does lock herself up and, and doesn't see her friends around. I mean, is there a difference between some types of people that are more susceptible to mental health issues under COVID? And what do they look like? Um, I, yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Targeta. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, well, I think there are, absolutely. I mean, we tend to be more stressed depending on what our experiences are. And like you say, I mean, in Hong Kong, we've been incredibly fortunate. We've not had such a severe lockdown as, as many other countries have had. Um, and it depends, you know, the level of anxiety you're experiencing in relation to COVID depends on your prior experiences. Have you had health issues in the past? past? Um, has have you got family members with health issues? You know, have people died? Have, have someone, one of your loved ones, have they died from COVID? That's all going to very much change how you're going to approach this situation and how um, anxious and how trapped you will feel in the in the current circumstance. Absolutely. Mm. Do, Dr. Chan, do you, are, are there particular ages you think are more vulnerable? Are old people worrying more than younger people, or is it across the board? Do you think? Oh, according to the according to the new uh, recently survey in, from Hong Kong U, and um, the young the younger uh, younger people and up to the middle age and even the uh, the elderly they are all susceptible to the anxiety and depression, and um, it's up to seventy percent of uh, of the people who have uh, received the survey they uh, have uh, moderate to severe symptoms of depression, and some of them uh, they've got um, post traumatic stress disorder symptoms. So probably the, um, the the percentage of patients um, has been increased quite a lot recently. Mm. You, you mentioned there the symptoms. What what are those symptoms? And does it, is it sometimes do sometimes people kind of not know they're depressed? Do people kind of fall into depression without kind of realizing what what's happening? 
Yeah, because、um, many of them、uh, they haven't encountered any symptoms of anxiety before, or some of them have anxiety、um, beforehand, but they did not、uh, re- realize it is a kind of disease. So、um, when the when the stress、uh, comes and then the symptoms become more and more severe, and they then start. To realize they got this problem. For example, when they、uh, really can't cope with their work or can't cope with their housework for the housewives, and so it is.、Um, so most commonly symptoms is anxiety and also depressions, but they also also come with other physical problems. Many of my patients recently they com- complain the blocking of throat, and they can't swallow, but actually there's nothing there in in their throat. And some of them complain of shortness of breath and、uh, palpitation, and they can't、uh, breathe in in close area, which is a quite the common symptoms of agoraphobia. And some of them will、um, complain of cold extremities, except,、um, especially those、um, elderly people, and they because cold in is. Has a special meaning in in Hong Kong Chinese culture, and they feel when they feel their hands are cold, and they feel there's not enough blood in the in the body.、Mm-hmm. So so、um, different kinds of somatic symptoms has been found in my clinic recently.、Mm, gotcha. And I, I guess one of the things about a psychiatrist that distinguishes you from other mental health professionals that you prescri- prescribe drugs. You know, you mentioned、uh, housewives who might go running for the shelter of Mother's Little Helper. Um, but do you find there's a, a, a change in the mix of drugs that you are prescribing to people now? Are you are you going? You know, are you prescribing more drugs? Are you more antidepressants? Are there more people walking around out there that are that are getting that kind of help? Um, usually, they have a lower dose of antidepressants and anxiolytics、uh, than the re- regular p-、uh, patients because、mm. most of them are stress-induced, and so so the level of、uh, illness is l- lower than than others. Than, than the patients that I encountered before. Okay. Also with us, as I say, is、uh, Dr. Dawn Su, Regional Medical Officer at Cigna, a, a global、uh, health service provider.、Uh, they've been doing a, a, an ongoing、uh, global impact study. Uh, looking at uh, the uh, response to uh, COVID in uh, in China and Hong Kong,、uh, Korea, New Zealand, and other countries、uh, around the world.、Uh, Dr. Su, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Tell us, tell us what you found then. What have you found about about、um, financial anxiety and, and general anxiety、uh, in, in the populations that you've you've questioned? Yeah. So, so today we're sort of at a, at a third edition of of what was a sort of rolling survey that we've done since the beginning of the year to understand the impact of the pandemic、um, on people's well-being.、Um, and in the in the first. Edition where the results were reported in the first quarter, most of the world was essentially at the beginning of the pandemic, and so a lot of the well-being indices that we track, like physical well-being, family, social, work, and financial well-being, they had stayed stable, and in fact, people were rather positive,、um, possibly because they were enjoying more flexible working arrangements and they basically had more time with family and loved ones. But gradually, as we sort of track people's、um, perception of well-being across the second quarter of the year and then the third quarter,、uh, there was an increasing sense that a lot of the changes、um, that we're coming to terms with、um, is going to be here for the long haul.、Um, a lot of the markets that we've covered are going through a rolling series of lockdowns, and what we found is that when our well-being、um, indices,、uh, like mental or physical well-being, Reduce during the lockdowns. 
they don't rebound back to previous levels even after restrictions are lifted. So certainly um, mental well-being uh, is, as the two other uh, psychologists and psychiatrists have, have uh, talked about, certainly impacted during this period. Um, and it is a combination of sort of stresses around finance, especially for a country like Hong Kong, but also around the fact that we are a lot more socially isolated than we were uh, before COVID. Um, and a lot of changes in general uh, in our family life, careers that we've had to navigate and change in general brings stress. Um, and, and that has a severe impact on our mental health. And how are we fixed up for for addressing that in Hong Kong? Just first of all, in kind of in medical terms or, you know, in government terms, do we have the resources to to tackle that, to deal with that? Um, I I think globally, but perhaps more so in Asia, uh, mental health and well-being has always been a bit of a taboo um, subject. I don't think it's talked about very much. Um, And I think between physical and mental health, for most of the world, uh, we tend to invest in more resources dealing with physical health issues than with mental health issues. And I think COVID has put mental health in the spotlight. And I think it's, it's, it's a good thing. Um, I think in general, there are resources um, in country, in Hong Kong, for example, to, to deal with mental health issues. But I think there is also an underinvestment um, in the support needed for, for individuals to cope with a lot of the changes that are occurring today. Um, But I think the first step is in acknowledging that we are suffering from stress uh, and mental health issues during this period. And when it's a safer environment uh, to talk about it because it is something pretty normal to talk about, then I think it will bring about uh, better services and support for those who need it. Yeah, I mean, is, there's got to be a bit of a gap here because I imagine, you know, like if somebody wants to go see, for example, uh, Dr. Dr. Chan, you're in private practice, yes? Yeah. I mean, if you go to private practice, you know, that's big money. And, you know, if you are, if you don't have an insurance plan that covers that, and I, I don't know how many of them do, and maybe uh, Dr. Sue, you can comment on that. But I mean, if you're just, you know, somebody who typically uses the public health services, how long are you going to wait before you can get a government appointed psychologist or psychiatrist who can help you out? I mean, even if you do have insurance, do insurance packages typically cover this? Maybe, Dr. Sue, you could start off by like commenting. Like, I mean, if you have a, a workplace health insurance plan, does it normally cover mental health issues? Yeah, so the majority of, of workplace health plans um, typically do not cover mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with Cigna, some of our multinationals, um, progressive companies will invest in health plans that do cover mental health conditions. Um, but often it is also at a certain uh, limit for the year that you will find is likely insufficient. It is enough for the individuals who are otherwise healthy and go through a period of acute stress. Mm-hmm. But for individuals who have chronic or long-term mental health conditions, it is typically insufficient as well. And so it's certainly an area where I think companies are, are looking at how they can sustainably finance um, this area of support for the employees moving forward. Yeah, because, I mean, you go in for a job interview, it's, you know, it might be a normal question to say, does the position include health insurance? Oh, as a matter of fact, it does. Great. Tell me about the mental health package. I mean, <laughs> the employer, some red flags are going to go off there. <laughs> You know, so you can see a lot of people not getting the coverage they need. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think when we speak to employees sometimes, because even for employees who do have mental health coverage, uh, 
not many of them utilize it, and sometimes it's just due to the fact that they are worried about employers finding out that they are using these mental health benefits. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the employers don't know that, but uh, you know there needs to be some level of trust before employees will start utilizing the health plans, where they'll start calling the employee assistance program, which is another helpline that is anonymous and provided mm-hmm. to employees for free. Yeah. But um, utilization across the region is still fairly low. Yeah. Okay. And how about for the public health systems? I mean, like, I don't know if Dr. Chen or Dr. Teragina have any experience with that where people say, I can't wait for the public health system, and they end up in your office. But I mean, how long do you have to wait for public health? Um, it depends on the severity of the patients. So, uh, if the, if those who re- recently got sick because of the COVID and then, uh, adverse environment in Hong Kong, probably they will be treated and get well before they get the, the first appointment in the public area, in the mm. public hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, because most of them, um, they are, um, because the onset is quite recent, so the treatment courses is, uh, the prognosis is much better. Mm. If they treat it early and then they, the length of uh, staying in the medical field will be uh, shorter and, and the treatment period will be shorter and the medication needed will be, short, um, will, will be less. So um, bef- probably before they enter the public hospital sector and then they will already been treated and get well already. Yeah, I mean, for more for other mental health issues, I mean, if I walk into the public hospital emergency room with a broken arm or a gash in my face, I might have to wait a couple hours, but they'll take care of me that day. Um, but I mean, if you walk in and you're like, I'm stressed, I'm depressed, I mean, how, how does the public system deal with it? Because that would be the vast majority of Hong Kongers. Um, um, frankly speaking, and the, according to my experience in the public sector, um, they had categorized into three categories. So those who have suffering from anxiety, they probably uh, belong to cat three or cat mm-hmm. two for some depression. Mm-hmm. For the cat, uh, cat category three, probably uh, quite a long time, maybe a few months. Right. For category two, maybe one or two months. Right. Okay. So it could be quite a long wait before they get to see somebody. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Dr. Uh, Terragena, what, what about this issue of working from home? Um, some people have said, you know, they, they like it. They find they, they don't have to commute and so on. And in some ways, it's, it's more relaxing, uh, perhaps. Uh, but then other people are concerned also about the way that your work life kind of bleeds into to home life. What are your thoughts on that? Do you find that... Um, are people coming to you? Do you hear reports of people getting more anxious because their work time is kind of spreading? Well, certainly um, it makes boundary setting harder, especially if you live in a smaller space in Hong Kong. Um, it's very difficult, you know, if you've got two or sometimes even more um, full-time working adults in the house and then they're all meant to sort of find their own little corner to work from home from. It can be, yeah, it can definitely add to the stress. Um, but I think what's helped people um, with maintaining their mental health and well-being is really to, um, you know, set those boundaries, get creative about setting boundaries, um, get creative about taking um, effective breaks, so being able to recover and recharge, and um, and also sort of regaining control in the little decisions, right? So I guess a lot of this is also a, a sense of a loss of control, so people feel they are being restricted or they can't do things that they previously uh, did or enjoyed to do, then, um, it, you know, everyone gets a sort of a bit of a knee-jerk reaction at first and there may be some anxiety and, and um, low mood and, and loss of motivation that follows. Um, so really regaining a little bit of control in our day-to-day decisions can help us 
to um, hang in there, essentially. Is it, where, where does the boundary setting have to happen in the home or with the bosses? I mean, I, I try not to text my staff on the weekend, you know, <laughs> if at all possible to give them, give them a break from me, if, if nothing right, else. Yeah. But I well, I mean, from both sides, right? You, you'd want to be able to um, set boundaries, um, not just with your boss, but like you say, also with your staff, you know, being able to say, okay, this is, this is the structure. So being clear and being communicative, because everyone's a little bit confused generally um, with the constant changes. No one's quite sure what are we allowed to do at the moment? What are we doing? Are we working from home? Are we on a rotation system? What is expected from us as staff as well? So being able to communicate that clearly, both from the um, the employer side, but also from the staff and the team members side, um, as well as in the home, um, you know, being, I know um, a lot of my clients have been quite creative in how they're setting boundaries with their kids who were also doing school from home. So mm. all a little bit chaotic, <laughs> I think, for many people, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do- Dr. Sue, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? What, what The people that you were talking to around the world, what were their thoughts on, on working from home? Does it make things better or worse? Yeah, so I, I think when it all first kicked off, um, people were generally quite happy about working from home just because it's a relatively new arrangement. It means your workday, uh, while it may be longer, it, it is also a lot more flexible. So people felt like they were better able to look after their family, uh, their loved ones. But I think as time went on, um, and as you mentioned, you know, uh, where your work life stopped bleeding in the home life, where kids, when kids are not going to school, and everything's relatively chaotic, um, then it becomes a form of stress. Um, and, and, and I agree that I think boundaries are, are important. Um, although today it's, it's now okay if your kids appear on screen <laughs> when you're on a Zoom call. Um, in the past, it used to be like you're really embarrassed about it and now it's fine. Um, but but I, I think um, if work from home is going to be an ongoing arrangement and it looks like it might be, then, then we need to rethink how we structure work days the tools that employees need um, to enable to operate efficiently because in the early days when I think we were all settling into a new routine, a lot of the platforms didn't work for work and that in itself is also stressful. Um, so, so certainly I think it's a sort of new environment that we all need to navigate, um, but we would need to rethink how we um, operate and how we work and collaborate with colleagues and, and with our bosses. Okay, here's an interesting comment. This is from Jay who says, uh, in an email, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that many of us have big depressions caused by stress in Hong Kong. This is a management and government problem. The government already knows that people living in small little box rooms get mental stress. It must be around at least 20 or 30%, but they still let the construction industry build tiny little box houses. The majority of people in Hong Kong, yeah, we know we've got stress, but we can't go and see a psychologist because he's too expensive, and the average person can't go to see him. And it probably starts in early childhood, but we can't talk to child psychologists. We have to involve the welfare, the salaries, all those psychiatrists were cut in half, we would have two for the price of one. The best thing we can do is to stop listening to the news, throw away the telephone, mm-hmm. get rid of the internet, get rid of credit cards, restructure the banking system and the government system, start going for nice little walks or community activities. Interesting uh, selection there, Jay, and some some uh, some, some recommendations. What, what about the... Uh, Dr. Terragena, what about that thing about... Uh, Stop listening to the news. Stop, uh, stop oh. getting rid of the internet. That can be a source of stress for a lot of people, can't it? Just looking at bad news around the world, it seems. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I'm, I'm, I think not completely not listening to the news, but uh, just listening once every day. 
because you knew, you have to know uh, what is going on in the world, but uh, not just overwhelmed by the news every day, every time, all the time. Yeah. Mm. And um, throw away the internet. Uh, I think it's impossible at nowadays because every everyone needs to work and on online. So and every student needs to online study, but. Um, Apart from that, just stay away from the computer and go for a walk or jogging in the hillside. It's a it's much better choice than playing TV games in in your small box, small little box in at home. Mm-hmm. But it's it's quite addictive, isn't it? I mean, even the news can be quite addictive. Yeah, many I of find. <laughs> yeah, that's why many of my patients come coming to see me. There yeah. are that's, they also overwhelmed by the news. Really, really. So it's not even just local events. It's yeah, they are very, really scary because, uh, especially the third waves. They suddenly we've suddenly got ten, more than a hundred cases every day, so they're really scared. Many, uh, some of my patients, they haven't go out from their home for three months. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. Th- these these are not just people's individual circumstances. Quite. They they have existential fears. Like maybe in the eighties, it would have been fear of uh, nuclear weapons dropping on it. You know, the nuclear threat of nuclear war. But this is really an existential fear people have. Yeah, because um, the anxiety is a spectrum. So some people they do not scare. Even the the bomb is going uh, up from there from mm-hmm. there above. But some people they do very scared of a uh, very tiny germs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we say goodbye for the moment to uh, Dr. Sue. Thank you very much indeed, Dawn Sue, a regional medical officer at uh, Cigna, a uh, global health service uh, mm-hmm. company who were responsible for that uh, global uh, impact uh, study. We're going to uh, continue the conversation and uh, be joined by the executive director of Samaritan Befrienders uh, after the news at nine. And later, we're also going to be talking about events uh, in Thailand. Uh, in particular those demonstrations uh, in Bangkok. Uh, your thoughts, questions and comments are welcome on all those topics, uh, of course. Backchat at rthk.hk is the address if you want to send an email or you can go to our Facebook page or call us, 233-88266. The weather, mainly fine, dry during the day, temperatures up to about 29 degrees, 24 Celsius at the moment, and the relative humidity is at 70%. Ukrainian winter. A reliable banking system as a foundation for a stable economy. Untainted elections free from interference by foreign adversaries. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back, back chat this Tuesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chewerton. We're talking about uh, the mental health of people uh, in Hong Kong and uh, also uh, around the world. We're, we're uh, joined now by uh, Dr. Chan Man Loy. Uh, Doris Chan is a psychiatrist. Dr. Eslin Terrigan is with us, a chartered psychologist from Mind and Life. And we're also joined now by Clarence Chung, who's the executive director of Samaritan Befrienders. Uh, later, we're going to be talking about developments and uh, the situation uh, in Thailand and uh, Bangkok in particular. Uh, with uh, a, a journalist uh, in Bangkok. Um, your thoughts, your questions and your comments are very welcome on any of those topics. Uh, you can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your messages. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio 3. Uh, one comment there on, on Facebook. Uh, what about addictions? Uh, have the, go- the doctors seen a rise in this area during COVID-19? For example, online buying addiction, um, alcoholism. Uh, a question there from from uh, Gary, uh, Doris Chan. Uh, do you see more addictions? Have you um, heard about that addictions? Right? Many many of the addiction is, comes to the TV, uh, the mobile games. 
especially for the young children and also even for the young adults. And um, some of them, when they are, um, uh, some of the students, when they see uh, online online lessons, they are actually not attending the lessons. They they are playing TV and mobile games under the table. And they just pretend they were atten attending the lessons. Some, some of the um, adults, they play 12 hours for every day. Is that linked to the stress, uh, the, the situation we're under now? Or is it, uh, would they just do that anyway? <laughs> um, probably because there's social isolation, because they okay, have nothing yes. to do. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can't go out anyway. I used to have that before exams when I was in university. I'd go hit the arcade. I'd have like an exam the next day. knew I had to study for 12 hours and I'd go and like spend three hours even though I knew I should be studying. I mean, it, was, it, was, it, was a it was a direct stress. I wouldn't do it the rest of the year, but just, you know, when there was high stress. It's a real thing. Because it's quite good at kind of emptying the brain or just kind of occupying it enough. Yeah, but it's very destructive because you know you should be doing something else. Mm. Um, yes, of course. Um, it's quite destru destructive because uh, if you do 12 hours every day for for half a year, then it was really quite destructive. Yeah, because you, you get more anxiety because you know that you're neglecting other things that you should be doing, you know, so, and yeah. Terrible for your health. It must be. Bad for your eyes. Sitting there 12 hours a day. Yeah, yeah and then um, scurries are also dropped a lot. And many of the patients who are suffering from an ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, they actually can't concentrate on the online lessons. They go away and go to the toilet and they will walk around in, at home and then they, they are not attending the lessons at all. Or they're, or they're multitasking. I know I see I've got a teenager at home and I mean, they've got, they've got the class on and they're actually talking to the teacher while they are running two videos at the same time and maybe also have a game going. Yeah, <laughs> It's course, pretty unbelievable. And they're talking to the teacher. <laughs> oh, how do you do that all at the same time? Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Is that, is that a big driver in Hong Kong? Is parents bringing kids to get mental health uh, support because the grades start dropping? I mean, that would be the most Hong Kong thing ever. Um, the, the parents do bring them to me um, because of their school problems. Because they, uh, some of them got ADHD, they can't mm -hmm. concentrate on the lessons, and they they even can't finish the most baseline that is homework. They can't finish the homework at all. And some of them they uh, they were unwilling to go back to school when the school resumed re uh, recently. And some of them suffering from anxiety because they have they haven't been go to school for quite a long time. Yeah. Well, we're also joined now, as I say, by Clarence Jung from yep. Samaritan Befrienders. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. So you're also kind of on the on on the front line yep. uh, when it comes to dealing with uh, mental health issues in in Hong Kong. What, what's happening? What from Samaritan's point of view? Um, what are people talking to you about? What What's your impression? Well, I. Um I guess the city lockdown and the need of social distancing uh, is stopping people from normal communication. And they have less chances for social activities, gatherings, sports, and group activities, which, uh, which were, you know, the usual ways for people to get away from routine stressful work. But now, you know, people had to stay home for most of the time, which could also create a lot of tension among family members, you know. Family members may may have different views towards the ways to deal with the pandemic too, you know. So some may be more easygoing, but some may may not be that, and that can create a lot of problems at home. And uh, you know, we, we we have received a lot of cases that parents um, are very stressful uh, because you know, on one hand, they have to take care of the kids when school were closed, 
And uh, but at the same time, they still need to work. Uh, whether you know they they have to uh, work at, from home or you they have to you know go go back to the office. And uh, for parents of um, special education, it's children. The pressure was even more serious. Just they needed to take care of the kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That can be very very stressful. Um, and uh, we've received a lot of calls from people uh, who are very worried about uh, uh, losing their jobs. And uh, some of them are, re- uh, are having a pay cut, uh, which is now affecting their income. And uh, this could also create a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the problems that uh, we, we've come across uh, from people calling mm-hmm. us. Have, have numbers spiked in Hong Kong in particular? Like, I mean, I guess, Clarence, you, you would probably know the numbers on suicide, right? I mean, uh, have, have numbers actually gone up in that area compared to previous years or like the baseline? Uh, I can't really tell because, you know, all these uh, statistics or figures uh, from the Corona score after the end of the year. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, what we know would be the numbers uh, from the news uh, so we, we can't really figure out if uh, the number is going up, but uh, for sure people are having more emotional problems uh, these days. And how are you guys doing? Are you able to man the phones? Are you are, are you like a, having a drive for more volunteers to handle well, the uh, case? Well, uh, uh, frankly speaking, we have a problem uh, during the um, lockdown because, you know, uh, even our volunteers uh, taking the calls would have problems going to our, our center. And uh, this uh, this is a problem, but uh, good that we have uh, 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 an online chat room to talk mm-hmm. to people, uh, and that uh, shows uh, kind of a rise of the uh, incoming uh, calls. Okay, and are you guys strictly still positioned as kind of a suicide hotline prevention thing? Because I noticed you've had a bit of a name change. You used to just be Samaritan, but now you're Samaritan Befrienders. Yeah, we are the Samaritan Befrienders Hong Kong. Yeah, but has has that does that reflect a mission change? Are you strictly a suicide prevention hotline? Or are you dealing well, with other things as well, well now? For that many years, in fact, it's a hotline for emotional uh, it, uh, for people with emotional distress. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not really up to the the point that you you have suicide intention that you, you call. But uh, if you have uh, emotional problems, you want someone to talk to, you you can call at any time. Okay, so a bit of a broader broader mandate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, suicide is a, is, is a kind of a process. It's not uh, a one-point thing, you know. So uh, when you have emotional problem, you call, uh, it's an earlier prevention of uh, suicide. In fact. Mm. Okay. And what sort of advice, what kind of comfort or help can you actually offer to the people who, who call you? Uh, you know, we've got a few minutes left of the program. Of this section, you know, what, what are the positive things that can be done? What do you say to people who call you up with anxiety, with concerns, with worries? Uh, well, I would say, you know, try to share your feelings with someone, okay? Mm-hmm. Even over the phone. Even you, you can't really meet someone in these days, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, try to do something you love to do in the past, uh, but, you, you know, have been put aside because of your busy schedule, busy daily lives. Now do that, okay? Uh, and uh, that can be helpful for you to uh, comfort yourself and uh, do some outdoor activities which require no partners. And, of course, if for professional help and the emotional situation is getting worse. Mm. 
Uh, Dr. Terragena, uh, what sort of positive advice can you offer to people? You know, so many of these things are kind of closed off to us, aren't they? So many of the options. Um, what do you say to people? How do you help people? Um, I think um, doing more exercise is very helpful because mm -hmm. it's only not only improves the physical health because many of our patients increase body weight a lot during these past uh, six months and they also Im improve the um, neurotransmitters um, production. So uh, if people they kept doing exercises, they, their mental health will be better. And also sharing the emotions with their friends and their relatives, or express their and tell them what they are uh, happening, uh, will also help and keep uh, and keep them away from the isolations. Mm. Uh, how about warning? Yeah, go yeah. ahead. I was just going to say I would probably add to that because um, we've heard a little bit today about how you know the compulsive seeking of news is a problem and. Yeah. Spending too much time, you know, having too much screen time can be a problem. But actually, during the pandemic, many people found it quite supportive to be able to get in touch with friends over video calling, um, to get in touch with family in, in overseas over video calling. Um, and the ease um, of, of communication that technology uh, permits us. So um, in part, I think finding new creative ways of dealing with things, which of course is difficult because we're already worn down, so it's harder to put in effort to actually go and, and find new coping strategies. Um, so, but what I, what I try and um, discuss with my clients, but also just generally when I give mental health workshops and these kind of things to corporates, um, it's about seeing the change, because change can be a stressor or can be a chance for opportunity and growth. And slowly, slowly addressing that mindset and and moving from um, change as a stressor towards change as what can we do with this? How can we create the change that we want to see? And putting ourselves sort of back in control of what's happening rather than just being pushed around by the bigger life events going going on is probably um, a very a very good way forward in terms of then helping ourselves and helping our mental health and um, you know, being proactive in creating change. Mm. A couple of interesting comments. Um, uh, one, first of all, from uh, Anna Fenton, uh, host of the program sometimes, also an addiction therapist, uh, who says addictions during COVID, it's escapism from the current situation and the isolation. Addiction to everything from exercise, work and online shopping to alcohol, food, anger, anxiety, any compulsive emotion or activity, all on the rise. The fix for addiction is human connection, so it's essential they create opportunities to meet friends and family members as often as possible. Uh, Anna says, I'm seeing some home alcohol consumption way up now, leading to domestic strife. Uh, online addictions are soaring, addiction to gaming, as was mentioned, social media in particular. Parents are so often overwhelmed with their own issues that they have little bandwidth left over for the kids. And uh, Bill says, uh, based on my experience, uh, it takes two to three months to see a psychiatrist. He's talking about the government mental health services. To see, two to three months to see a psychiatrist and then another three to five months to see a psychologist. Thereafter, each sees a patient as often as weekly. A more normal schedule is the psychiatrist sees the patient once every month to a minimum of once every three months. A psychologist sees the patient more frequently than a psychiatrist. Treatment lasts for over a year. Thanks for that information. That's, for, that's from uh, Bill. And um, uh, one more... 
uh, email. This is from uh, Bowen, uh, who says the news is addictive because we have uh, charming personalities like Hugh and Andrew hosting shows like Backchat. <laughs> but I'm not going to suggest the obvious solution following this logic. Getting rid of the internet and the phone completely is, like what the doctor said before the break, difficult to execute, apart from the fact that using them appropriately can bring mental health benefits. I may as well tell you what I've been doing in the last few months, listening to lots and lots of Glenn Gould. Uh, being patriotic. Good call. It's a Canadian. Yeah, good call. <laughs> uh, Sviatoslav Richter, Alicia de la Rocha, and some others. A box set of Alicia de la Rocha's piano solo has arrived recently. Absolutely sublime and very good in keeping stress and anxiety at bay. But then beware of shopaholic buying of the CDs and so on of these people, which I am falling prey to. That is from Bowen. Bowen, the answer is uh, Radio 4. You have to start listening to RTHK. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Bowen maybe can come to my Canadian quiz night on Thursday then if he's a Glenn Gould fan. Uh, <laughs> he might get a couple of points there. Uh, so thank you very much indeed to, to our guest this morning, to uh, Doris Chan, a psychiatrist. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. To Dr. Eslin Tarragena, a chartered psychologist from Mind and Life. And Clarence Jung, executive director of the uh, Samaritan Befrienders. Thank you all very much indeed for, uh, for all those uh, suggestions as well. If anything else occurs to you, do drop us a line. Um, uh, Leslie Ann, uh, in an uh, email, uh, unrelated, this was, this was sent uh, earlier, says, Dear Backchat, I'm resending this email in the hope that maybe able to find some answers re our quarantine restrictions uh can you please ask someone in government how many people actually go on to test positive within their 14-day quarantine period after testing negative at the airport and if they do test positive in which week is it the first or second one the reason i'm asking is that i suspect the numbers who subsequently turn positive are incredibly low and i would assume it would be within the first week rather than the second if this is indeed the case the government could consider shortening the 14-day quarantine period to seven days and then administer another covid test after the end of day six with the result being through on day seven if the candidates are still negative after a week and their second test then they could be free to come out of quarantine. This would encourage travel enormously and in turn help the airline and tourist industries, which are badly in need of help. That comes, as I say, uh, from uh, Leslie Ann. Uh, David Webb was making a similar point, I think, uh, uh, yesterday in the discussion about uh, quarantine mm -hmm. arrangements and the, and the uh, travel bubble, just saying that uh, very, very few people who've been quarantined... Actually uh, test those, positive. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, actually test positive. Well, I mean, we tested uh, 1.8 million people and found 42 cases. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that, and thank you very much indeed for, as I say, for uh, all, all the other emails this morning. I wanted to turn finally today to the uh, question of uh, Thailand, the uh, ongoing uh, demonstrations, what's happening, in particular in the capital, uh, Bangkok. A um, couple of uh, comments on Facebook uh, on that, and on the striking similarity between, between uh, uh, Bangkok and um, Hong Kong in that regard. TC says, developments in Thailand is why I religiously follow what's happening in Hong Kong. The problems being fought out in Hong Kong isn't unique to the territory. It's a reflection of what's happening in other places in the world. The generational conflict reflected in support and opposition or reformism towards the Thai monarchy is quite interesting. It reminds me of the generational conflict in Hong Kong. Uh, Victoria Ann says the situation in Thailand has been brewing since the last big cheese fell ill. 
They even changed the constitution years ago to allow for female to take the throne. But with palace politics, the prince won with support from the mother. The people preferred the princess. It's common knowledge that the prince had never spent much time in Thailand and due to medical reasons, he required regular treatments in Europe. The fact that he was so obtuse <coughs> with his preference for his life outside of Thailand after he became the big cheese just added more oil to the fire. The pandemic didn't help. With a country like Thailand, it's always about money and the military who really controls the country. And sadly, we all know the regular Thai cannot afford bribing the military. Uh, we're joined uh, now uh, for comment by uh, ML uh, Natakorn uh, Devakalu, host of the uh, Daily Dose Voice TV. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Morning, sir. It's nice to be here. Can you, uh, you. first of all, uh, can you? I uh, just checking kind of press reports. They're, they're a few days old, uh, many of them. What what is the situation now uh, like uh, exactly in in Bangkok? First of all, and then maybe the rest of the country. But what's what's happening in Bangkok today? Well, well, basically, we have protests going on everywhere on a daily basis. You got protesters popping up, you know, in uh, in regional parts as well. You know, major pockets in uh, the province of Kanken. And also, you have uh, spurred movements uh, uh, throughout the south as well. You got protests, you know, in Phuket, for example. So you got, you know, you got a movement that is quite national in the way that it is natured. And and also, you got movements in Bangkok. So, for example, tonight we expect to have protests at various numbers of gatherings uh, throughout the, uh, you know, the, the city centers. So this is what is happening, basically. It's, it's kind of a movement against an entrenched dictatorship. An entrenched dictatorship uh, in, in uh, the military coup took place six years ago, right? Six years ago. And, and we had an election earlier this year, uh, but uh, it turns out that the election uh, is seen as being manipulated by the military establishment, allowing them to stay on in power. So that's that's the crux of it. That's the crux of it. But but you know, if you mentioned the similarities between Hong Kong and the movement in Thailand, is that you see a lot of young people coming out uh, to to protest, to demonstrate, and 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 that's largely because they they're now beginning to realize that if the current dictatorship stays in place, they will more than likely you know be not be able to find a suitable job and employment. <laughs> Uh, you know, when they graduate from college because the economy has been performing so poorly under mm. the military junta. So there's that element, right? But then you also have you know, older protesters who have been, you know, trying to fight for democracy in Thailand for, for a long, long time. So those are joining in as well. So mm. that's why the gathering is quite big all over. And it seems to have this, this Republican flavor to it where they seem to be attacking the monarchy. But is, is the monarchy really a stand-in for you know, kind of broader despotic forces uh, and, and people wanting more control over their, their, their politics? I, I would say that the, uh, there's an overemphasis uh, by the international media on that element. But hmm. uh, if, you, if you listen to what these students are saying on their mini stages that they set up, they basically are asking for a reform of the institution. They're not asking for any type of an overthrow of it. Uh, you know, and so if you listen to closely, they're asking for reform. They're asking basically for a new constitution to be drafted that would uh, set in place cornerstones that would prevent, that would truly prevent uh, uh, any type of uh, uh, additional uh, uh, decrees that could be made possible by by the institution of the monarchy. And you know, you have to keep in mind that. Uh, most of the 
majority of Thai people in Thailand still respect the institution of the monarchy. Mm. So the, the, the type of Republican flavor would not be tolerated if it's, you know, said outright, right? So you've got elements of criticism here and there, but, it, but, but the crux of it, it's basically calling for reform. Now, the, the problem with, with uh, the, the stance of the current military junta is that uh, they're not willing to give in into any of the proposals by the students. The students are asking for like three things mainly. One is reform of the institution, right? Mm-hmm. Two is a, 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 a rewriting of the constitution. And three, that the prime minister resigns. They're, they're not willing to give in into even one of them. Mm-hmm. If they're willing to give in into at least you know, one or two of the the conditions set forth, then maybe the protesters are probably willing, you know, to dissipate away gradually. You mm-hmm. know, so that, that's the main problem is this, the inability of the government to to give in even a little bit, and then they started, you know, uh, trying to disperse the crowd back on Friday using, you know, uh, you know, water uh, propelling at the protesters, and that that really brought on more of the protesters today and, and yesterday. And in we, Bangkok, we, sorry, is it, is it the traditional military that is uh, that is pushing back on the students? Because I, I understand there was some formation of a new uh, kind of paramilitary wing that was under the direct control of the king, even though he's barely in Bangkok. And they had kind of taken control of Bangkok and forced out the military. Has that situation passed? Or who who is pushing uh, back I, on the students I, now? I, I think your description of it is, is not uh, accurate because uh, – that's largely just just rumors spread around okay. the country. But basic, yeah. But basically, I mean, it, the, this government is in charge. Uh, this government mm-hmm. is in charge, and, okay. and and it is also in charge of the police. And the police was was largely involved in the uh, the usage of these these water tanks that they imported from South Korea, right? So they're quite excited with these huge water tanks, cars, trucks. So they wanted to use these to kind of show show force so that the students would not gather again. Right? We're, we're quite so familiar with not, them here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, so that that is unprecedented in Thailand. Mostly, we've had some tear gas usage back a long, long time ago, mm. but that was you know, to disperse a protest that would go on for months and months, right? Mm-hmm. But but here you got a protest that it's very young, young in its infancy in terms of it, it just formed a couple of months ago and it just gathered for like the three three consecutive days peacefully with with not with no with no rocks no batons no nothing and it's a, a lot of young female students protesting mm-hmm. for reform like you know 15 16 year olds so so but i uh, on the point that you just made i would say that this government is in charge and they they are responsible for any action that is undertaken so so that's why you got you know another group of protesters this morning heading over to the government house where the prime minister is going to be and asking for some responsibility um mm-hmm. i think one thing that you have to keep in mind is that uh you see you know you you see protesters dispersal, you know, happening around the globe all the time because in other countries there are protests. Sure. But in Thailand, normally you have negotiations. And unless the, the protest is violent, the usage of even water trucks like this is not seen as acceptable. Mm-hmm. Because these are young girls, you know, like 15, 16-year-olds protesting, putting up the three-finger salute. Yeah. And they're, they're asking for reform. Even at the most, they're not asking for anything drastic at all. Hmm. 
uh, I mean, we used to talk a lot about uh, Thailand and haven't for a while, which kind of reflects, I guess, a period of at least kind of political stability, not kind of making the world's headlines and so on. But, uh, but the other thing is that we were kind of used to the conflict between the red shirts and the yellow shirts mm-hmm. and the controversies over tax and you know what. Uh, yep. is, do, do these map onto that, or is this, is this a new generation with completely oh, yeah. new formations? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, let, let me give it to you like this. Mm. The, the, the people that are in the military junta now, right, the three, the, 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 well, what, the, the main army uh, generals who are in the current government, um, they were basically in power back in 2010, right? 2010, the prime minister was Apisit Chachiwa of the Democrat Party. Mm. But, but the military uh, generals who were in charge back then of of of, uh, of getting rid of the red shirt protesters mm-hmm. were the same folks. I mean, literally the same three individuals, right? Mm-hmm. So, so those involved in cracking down on red shirts back in 2010 that ended up killing 99 people, probably mm-hmm. more than that, yeah. are the same people in charge today, right? Mm-hmm. So these young folks protesting, they know, uh, they know what happened back then. They have, they have read their history. And so they know full well that it's, it's, it's this same military group that has been in charge of the country, you know, for over uh, uh, 10 years, you know, with a brief interval stepping out during the Ying Lak administration, which came in back in 2011 mm. and lasted in 2014. But they, they know their history. And so they know that it's the military that has been behind a lot of the uh, the movements to to take take Thailand back to you know the dictatorship era, and and so and so they're aware of the history. And red shirts were, pro- were basically protesting for democracy as well, and that's why they got cracked down. Mm. It's the same thing, but but now you got younger people and and to the ex- to the normal mainstream media who may have viewed the red shirts with some skepticism, you know, as as being you know. Uh, uh, poorly uneducated people from the provinces, which is not not true. They're in, they're educated, right? They came mm-hmm. in. They wanted to have new elections, right? Um, well, well uh, now you got younger people, and they're viewed uh, in the light as you know pure and innocent. So it, it helps them in their cause. But the cost is the same. Okay. The cost and, is basically they're fighting for democracy. And and two quick, quick questions. First of all, I mean, is there widespread support, or is this just a a small group? You think? Nationally. Oh, it's, you mean the current movement? Yeah. The current movement, um, yeah, it's widespread. It's widespread. This, is, this is legit. This is, this is the most authentic, uh, authentic movement uh, in modern Thai history. Mm. It, it's spontaneous and it's, it's peaceful. I mean, most movements in the parts have, have guards that would be somewhat physical at times, but this is peaceful, man. I mean, this is, this is peaceful even if you compare it to, I would say, protesters in Hong Kong, in, in, in most other countries. And this is young students in their high school years putting up the three-finger salute, uh, asking for equality. I mean, they, they're reading Thomas Paine Common Sense. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're asking for equality. They're using the terms like, all, all the people's blood is red, right? So we all are made of the same blood. Hmm. It's very, it's solidified. And people who don't come out to protest, most of them, including folks, who are uh, royalists support basically at least two out of the three goals that these protests are asking. Mm. And so it's legit. It's legit. Now, how it ends, it really depends on the authorities. They could listen to the kids and redraft a new constitution. 
and then change the prime minister, you know. Reform the, uh, reform the monarchy is really essentially left, they're left to the task of the, the rewriting of the constitution, right? Because it, it's, it has to do with laws and, and, and the charter. Um, but at least if there are powers that be listened to them, two out of three causes would be met and the situation would end peacefully. But it's legit. And this is, this is the most authentic peaceful movement in modern Thai history. Okay, well, very interesting. quite important. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining Thank us you. and Thank explaining you. the situation. Thank uh, you. Emma there, host of the Daily Dose of Voice TV. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me here. Uh, best wishes to Ada. I hope she uh, gets well soon. Uh, the weather, mainly fine, dry. Maximum temperature today about 29 degrees. That look mainly fine and dry in the next couple of days. Temperature difference uh, between day and night, relatively large, slightly cool in the morning and at night. Cloudier and windier towards the weekend. 24 degrees now. Humidity is at 68%. Fight the virus, stay vigilant. If you think you have a higher risk of COVID-19 exposure or experience discomfort, you can collect specimen bottles for free testing from designated public clinics. Meanwhile, the government will arrange free testing for targeted groups. To minimize the risk of community transmission, we should take the initiative to get tested. Together, we must fight the virus. Stay vigilant. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. And 33, the news with Samantha Butler. Germany is reported to have granted refugee status to a young protester facing a rioting charge here in connection with last year's anti-government unrest. The university student is believed to be the third Hong Kong activist to be offered protection by Berlin after Ray Wong and Alan Lee were given political asylum in Germany in 2018. The founder of Centerline Property has welcomed the government withdrawing its proposed vacancy tax on unsold flats held by developers and suggests it shouldn't bother reintroducing it in future. Shi Wing Ching says the market situation has changed and the downward trend in prices means there's no incentive for developers to hold out for better sales. And the head of a patient's rights group says the authorities shouldn't force people to take COVID-19 tests, even if it's good for them and for public health. Alex Lamb from Patients' Voices says doctors also shouldn't have to violate patient confidentiality or be subject to complaints from people forced to get tested. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? You're not too bad at all. Good morning. Even the after Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. Good to be back with you. I'm Phil Whelan. Well, 10-10 today, ahead of the AFL, that is Aussie No Rules Football Grand Final this Saturday. Jared Watt's going to be with us for most of the hour this week. Because apart from the news, he's curating a stack of really good Aussie music. It's once a year crack, I reckon. Dr. Merrin Pierce will be out and about after 11 for this week's Eco Bit.